This is Radio Broccoli. Radio Broccoli has been entertaining patients of the Royal National Orthopaedic Hospital for 50 years now. The reason it's been here all that time? Hundreds of volunteers giving up days, weeks and months of their free time. I'm Molly Townsend. In this five-week series, we'll hear the story of Radio Broccoli from some of the people who helped run it over all those years. Today, in part four of our story, we look back over the 90s and the noughties with new technology, new show formats and the birth of 24-hour broadcasting. We'll hear from David Rauch, Ron Labour, Alan Joyce, Daniel G and Keith Reeve. This is the story of Radio Broccoli. I came along here um, to Radio Broccoli in 1990. It was the summer and I was a patient here at the RNOH a number of times. Uh, as a kid, um, on the adolescent unit, which at that time was known as Colonel Woodliner Williams Ward. And I used to play bedside bingo, and I really enjoyed it. And uh, I decided that uh, I thought it would be a nice hobby to get involved in. I needed something to bring me out of my shell. I'd been involved in radio already in CB, and I thought it was a nice little progression to work in hospital radio. And after I was a patient and um, I'd I'd finished here for a little while, I, I, I got involved. I remember one particular day, I was into Neighbours, shamefully, and um, I was a bit of a fan of Charlene from Neighbours, who was Kylie Minogue. And my dad told me that she had a single out in the charts, and it was number one. And I thought, well, I can't believe it. I haven't heard this song. I need to have a listen to the radio. So I put on the top 40 that particular day and spent two hours listening to the charts and absolutely fell in love with what I heard. I wanted to do that the second I heard it. And I thought, this is going to be my career. Um, and that's pretty much what happened. I was only 12 years old at the time. A year later, I was allowed to visit Radio Mount Vernon. My granddad had organised it for me to go and have a look at the studio. And um, again, absolutely loved it. I thought, I can't wait to do this. When can I join? And they said, well, you have to wait till you're 16. And at 13 years old, 16 feels like a long time away. So um, we found that Radio Broccoli here in the RNOH was taking people at 14. So we thought, well, let's have a look then. And me and a friend both applied and... uh, I joined at age 14 and I'm still here now. The 1990s saw the expansion of the Broccoli Request Chart, which had been set up the previous decade in 1985, as Keith Reeve explains. The the Request Chart was actually started by um, Steph Farley, as she was then. She's now Steph Williamson, who was a member of staff, a radiographer that had worked at the Middlesex Hospital and and joined the RNOH in 1984, and then subsequently that autumn... Uh, Radio Broccoli and she suggested we should do a request chart and we all thought what a good idea why haven't we done this before so I think I managed I started to compile that that year I think I did the first couple of years maybe the original method of collecting the request was literally to have a, a folder and manually tick off every single request that was compiled during the course of the year and then someone at the end of the year would top them all up and manually put a chart together which took hours upon hours. I mean, I remember I did it for many, many years. In those days, we didn't have all the electronic means of recording requests. It was really gathering in um, all of the paper requests that we got on the back of bingo tickets, because bingo was still very much done, um, you know, in the same way as it is now, but the request shows 
took the whole week. We, we had a, a request show every evening of the week we were on air. So it's gathering and all those bits of paper, again, swatting over a book for the year and then recording all the votes, if you like, and then at the end of the year, adding it up and presenting the programme. Um, at the you know I think it was New Year's Eve or thereabouts that I used to do it. I've loved seeing what the request chart produces because it is such a range of stuff for hospital radio. I mean, you can have Frank Sinatra at number one um, and then Elvis Presley at number two and then Rihanna at number three. I mean, where else could you possibly have a chart that throws up that sort of thing? Um, when I started doing the request chart, the popular artists were... Uh, people like uh, Jim Reeves and uh, Glenn Miller, um, Max Bygraves even, in the early 1990s. And now I have to say it's much, much more current stuff. A lot of people of all ages now listen to people like um, Ed Sheeran, and he's now really, really popular. I think there are some songs that uh, have been perennially favourites. Obviously one of the records that we used to play in every request programme was uh, Frank Sinatra's My Way. That was very, very popular, to the point where actually, it's actually a long record, it's just short of five minutes, and we were trying to, you know, in those days, I think the request programmes were half an hour, so having a five-minute record in a half-hour programme wasn't good. I did do an edited of it and cut, cut out a couple of verses we had on tape, and that's what we tended to use. So instead of being five minutes, it was about uh, three um, unless you listened carefully or you knew the song intimately, you probably wouldn't have noticed. But uh, I remember doing that. Um, there were some records that I think obviously wouldn't get played at all nowadays. Favourite uh, was the Black and White Minstrels with Dem Bones. Obviously, uh, Black and White Minstrels are not uh, politically correct, so uh, I don't think we'd be playing that anymore. I suppose the song would still be quite good. Um, and obviously, an orthopaedic hospital is a fairly obvious choice. Like all music, music is memories, it is to me. And, and I can look at an era and I can listen to the music and I can picture in my mind what I was doing at that time. And it, those memories remain vivid. And I, I think probably, I mean, I don't know what triggers other people's thoughts with this, but I suspect other people are not far from that mark, that people are remembering a particular song for a particular reason, it, it rings a bell, it strikes a chord, whatever phrase you want to use. You know, it could be a significant moment in their life when they get married, when they have their first child, or when they go to school the first time and it's playing on the radio in the kitchen that morning, whatever. But something sticks in your mind and those songs are the theme to your life. And, and, and I feel that way and I think that's where I, I like my music from all different genres and generations because it depends on how I'm feeling and what I'm thinking is what I request and I suspect our patients are the same. One of our members, Josh Olsman, decided that he could rig the request chart by recording a song himself, um, his cover version of Better Best Forgotten, which is very appropriate really. Um, and he used to do this character called um, Telly Tubby Josh or something like that. So he used to call the um, artist Broccoli Tubby Steps. And uh, he did this cover version and the, the gig really was that if anyone sort of said to him, well, I don't know what I want as a request, he'd say, right, well, if you're not going to tell me what you want, I'll play this one for you. And it used to be this awful thing that he recorded himself, and, and that's exactly what happened. Um, I think he was gutted that it only made number 40 in the annual charts, but I, I was determined it wasn't going to go any higher, so I think I banned it. <laughs> the early 90s saw a range of new shows appear as the station started broadcasting on more evenings than ever before. One of the first shows I did was New Kids on the Mic, 
which was the Adolescent Unit Request Show. And I think it was a Wednesday evening. And um, I quite enjoyed doing the presenting. I hated doing the important stuff, which was the tech hopping or driving the desk. You know, where people pull the knobs and faders and what have you. I was hopeless at it. So presenting was what I enjoyed. And the final show I did um, was the Broccoli Gold Request Show. And that was the request show after bingo on a Sunday and did that for quite a number of years. And I was quite chuffed because it was the second highest rated show after Bedside Bingo, of course. And uh, it was great fun. So 1992, we started a programme called Jam Tarts. Now, um, the name of the show was born about by the fact that Steve, who was one of the presenters, uh, kept going around all all the time calling us Tarts. And um, the surnames of the three of us presenting the programmes were Joyce, Atkins and Mason. So we came up with Jam Tarts. I think it was my brother who came up with the name of the title, actually. Um, So we used to bring down Jam Tarts into the studio to eat every Friday as well. Uh, It was the first Friday programme that Radio Broccoli had ever done. We put a huge amount of planning into it. It sounded a little bit anarchic when we were doing it, but there was huge amounts of planning went into the programme. And the patients, I think, loved it because they actually started recording it from their beds they had um, tape recorders and I remember going up to see one of the patients who had a library of previous jam tart shows by her bed that she would play to herself Um, we had huge amounts of fun with it in fact not only did we have fun but I think a lot of other people like listening to the program because a lot of people who weren't even presenting on a Friday would come down and spend their Friday nights with us just to listen to the show Um, Steve I was very very lucky to work with as I mentioned before he he used to make everyone laugh and I had such a laugh doing it Um, and uh, people would flock down to the studio just to just to see what he was doing. It was a fantastic programme. Very nice of you to call. Right, it's nice to talk to you. Bon voyage. We've, we've actually got half a million people down here tonight, so we'll uh, get them all to say hello. I mean, I've, at least I've got half a million listeners tonight. Hello, everyone. I sound I heard Josh over everyone there. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say, you won't believe it, but Josh has hardly said a word this evening. Josh, I can't, say I something. I don't believe that for hello, a minute. Everybody. Good gold. Yeah, up early this morning. Here. Oh, great. You can't get rid of him, can you? It's like a bad dose of piles. You can't get rid of him, can you? Exactly. Like a bad smell. Dear, oh, no. Keith Reeves has got his hand over his mouth, but I think he's disappearing fast down his gullet. Now it's time for... But tonight, with a slight difference, tell about. Okay, it's Boston Artists. We've been busted. Who did that? Who did that? Right, get out of here. Out. Get out. Get out. Dear idea. I'll tell you what, management, you just can't trust them. No. Just can't trust them at all. Right. Right, here we go. Here we go. Ah, 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 ah. Oh, I just can't bust this record. And ladies and gentlemen, she's been doing that for the last 90 weeks. <laughs> Rather sad. Who thought they knew Julie? Right, OK. Here we go. Tonight's final one. The key thing really for me was making sure that everyone else got it, that it wasn't an in-joke. And I would always make a point of um, playing our programmes to other people and getting their responses. And if they didn't laugh, then we knew we had to do something different. And if they did then we knew we were doing it right. And I think that pretty much goes for most of the programmes that I've done. I always try to get some feedback from people and, and get an understanding of what works and what doesn't work. 1992 saw the start of Radio Broccoli's longest-running weekday show, The Thursday Experience, now called Thursday Live. Founder member of the team, Keith Reeve, explains more. Right, The Thursday Something Experience, we called, um, we called it. I can't remember why. It was a play on the theme of a TV programme at the time, I think. Um, it was myself... Uh, Paul Downer, God bless him, um, Alan Tomlinson, 
Sue Weston and Anne James, God bless her as well. And um, we basically um, wanted to, we, I think the, all of us kind of had enough experience of what we were doing and were into doing radio shows and trying to entertain our patients. We wanted to do something slightly different for the older listener. And um, you can use that term as you wish, but the more mature listener, if you like. And we were going to avoid as much as we could the modern pop music that, uh, you know, was becoming more uh, more involved in other shows. So we, we started in December that year. Um, you know, we gathered and lost a few people over the years. Uh, we we dropped the Thursday something experience along the way because it it just didn't um, make any sense anymore after the TV show disappeared, whatever it was. I can't remember. Um, and then last uh, in November two thousand and fifteen, we changed it to Thursday Live, um, just simply because it wanted a refresh, really, and and just to bring a new uh, new face to a program which generally, apart from me, uh, as the only founder member, is, uh, you know, the personnel had changed by then. One of the big fundraisers for Radio Broccoli in the 90s was the annual Christmas raffle. Daniel G was the man behind the idea. One of my remits down at Radio Broccoli was fundraising, and that was even before I became trustee. And I said, all right, I'll have a go. And I needed an idea of how to raise some funds for the radio station. Because, you know, we're a charity. Um, Nobody funds us. Anything that goes on here that we purchase, like music, licenses, etc., we have to fund ourselves. And um, obviously to bring the funds in is important. And we used to sell, and we still do sell, Radio Rocky mugs and pens and things like that. But the raffle was something that was suggested to me by the trustee at the time because it was a fairly simple um, procedure. It couldn't go far wrong, really. Basically, you get a load of prizes, you get a load of tickets, you sell them, and hopefully it raises some funds. I remember going through Bushy Heath into the chemist and various other shops and asking for prizes and we had some whopping prizes i seem to remember there was a box of biscuits uh, there was a um uh, we got some chocolates uh, some air freshener i mean you're talking real you know generation game quality stuff here i think the first year he raised about 100 200 pounds and over the 10 15 years that he did it it grew to being a couple of thousand pounds it was a fantastic effort by daniel um, and that really did help um, boost our funds. People started saying to me when I was no longer doing it, oh, wh- wh- where are the tickets? Aren't you going to flog any to me this year? And, and can I sell some for you? And I thought, oh, maybe I should have kept it going. In the mid-1990s, we were approached by Edgware School to help um, coordinate their car parking at their car boot sales. Um, and it was literally pretty much that. that We got up at six o'clock in the morning, about six of us stood in the car park, sometimes in the pouring rain and directed traffic. And it it really was as exciting as it sounds. Um, But having said that, you know, there was a great um, rapport between all of us. We were doing it again to have a laugh. Basically, we all got on really well with each other. Um, We got to meet some really entertaining people. Um, They made us nice cups of coffee and everything, which was nice. We didn't have anything better to do on a Sunday morning, probably at the time. And we were making some good money for Radio Broccoli. We did that for about five years and we used to get paid cash in hand for the studio and we raised a lot of money and fortunately I and the people in charge at the time persuaded everybody else, let's just keep this, let's look after this because we know we might need this one day and it's, it's held us in good stead. 2004 saw Radio Broccoli win its first gold award at the National Hospital Broadcasting Association Awards for Best Speech Package. It was for an interview recorded by Daniel G with the then RNOH chairman, Donald Hoodless, MBE. Back in 2004, um, 
we ran a program down here again an idea that was sort of plagiarized from somewhere else no doubt and it involved patients putting questions to the big chiefs here at the hospital they've been talking about a rebuild at the rnoh for years and years we i mean everybody knows the fantastic work that the hospital does in terms of surgery i've been a patient here myself um six seven times i've had surgery since i was 14 and they've always wanted to do a rebuild and the, the buildings are sad the work is fantastic the people are great but the buildings let it down. And they've been pushing and pushing and pushing. Ever since 1987, when I was in, I broke my leg, um, and I was in accident and emergency, which is now rehab ward. And um, I, I remember them talking about it back then, and they're still talking about it today. And hopefully it's just a short way away now. But um, we ran this thing whereby we went round, or I went round to the patients with a mini disc recorder, and I got them to ask questions. Yeah, I, I fed some of them ideas about what they could ask, but you had, I don't know, Maud in Ward 8 asking, you know, what are you going to do about the food? It's awful, you know, this sort of thing. And, and we, we did all these recordings, and we played them out to the chairman in the studio um, using a mini disc uh, as if the questions were live. Okay, let's pop to Jackson Burroughs Ward now. And Julie Smith of Hampshire has a question about the time she spent waiting to actually come into the hospital. I waited <laughs> for nine months for my operation, and I'd like to know what you're doing to cut down the waiting lists. Well, um, it, it's a problem. Uh, we're a popular hospital because we do such good work, and uh, we need, in a sense, to see more patients. And it, it's a complicated issue. The government wants us to reduce the waiting lists and waiting times, and we, we will certainly working to do that um, it, it, is, it is something that we, we do need resources to do. How, how do you get the waiting list down? Because there are so many people you obviously want to churn them through as quickly as possible is there anything you can actually do to, to, to increase that rate? Well, uh, partly that's uh, with, with clinicians and, and how much they can do in, in the time available and, and, and indeed how much we get paid for as a hospital uh, mm. to do the work and I think that's a very critical issue and again I think that's an important one for where I sit in a sense in, in, in arguing externally on behalf of the hospital that we do need the resources. So we sent this off to the Hospital Broadcasting Association Awards and they'd never heard anything like that done before. They thought it was a, a brilliant use of hospital radio, which it was, and Daniel was a fantastic interviewer as well. Um, so we put together this hour programme, we sent it off to the, uh, the awards, which we'd never entered until that point. We didn't really know much about it, to be honest, so we weren't really expecting anything. Um, but we got nominated for the final ten. Uh, two of our members went along to the awards, which I think were being held in Blackpool, that particular year and they came back with a gold award and we couldn't believe it it sort of it's the first time we'd really been recognized externally for any programs that we put together um, and it made us stop and think really that you know we're, we're capable of doing a lot more here at Radio Broccoli why don't we start doing more of these types of programs and over the following few years we started recording more and more of these interviews and uh, we still do them now with the the uh, chairman and the chief executive from time to time, as well as many others as well. I think it sort of gave us a little bit of a, a taste of fame. And the idea was, why don't we submit a few more in the future and see whether we can get a bit more reward? Because, you know, we're doing all this hard work. It goes out once and then it's lost and nobody hears it again. And, 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 and the work we're doing is quality work. Let's see what others think. And, well, we've won a few awards since then. 
2006 saw Radio Broccoli celebrate its Ruby anniversary, and there were many special events taking place that year. Well, it, it, you know, it's one of those weekends you look back on with rose-tinted spectacles, I suppose, as, they, as the phrase goes, that um, everything that could happen did happen. It was, it was fantastic. Uh, we had a great turnout of our own members. Uh, we had a great turnout of returning members that came back and did their old show formats again, including people like Peter Young, who's a professional broadcaster now, but did his first show here in the late 60s. Natalie Cassidy had a major storyline in EastEnders at the time and happened to be an old schoolmate of one of our members at that particular time, so he invited her down. And she came down. Um, she went down on the wards for bingo on the adolescent ward and played bingo with them. And uh, she came down the pub afterwards with us as well. So she was she was a good laugh and great to have her around. With the storyline that's coming up, I mean, it's such a big thing to do um, that I've known for a while. And no, you, you know, you get a say. They'll say, you know, are, are you comfortable with this? And mm. is this going to be OK? And, you know, it is the norm. Um, it isn't a, a big deal anymore. It's very, very hard thing to cross. Obviously, myself, um, in, in my own personal life, um, I, I, I am um, heterosexual. So for me, to become um, bisexual in the show is, is a strange experience. However, um, you know, it, it's, I think it's fantastic. And um, I do have fun. It's good fun at work. And Petra's fantastic who I'm working with, who plays Naomi. Right. So um, we, we have a good laugh with it and eat lots of onions before snogging. <laughs> um, Alison Moye, I mean, that was such a privilege to have her in the studio. She was living very locally at the time. And she'd always said, you know, if there's anything I can do to help Radio Broccoli, let me know. And one of our members cheekily put something through her door I think and said well you're invited down to come and see us then so she um, bless her she kept her side of the bargain she said well I asked for that didn't I all right then I'll come down and she did and she came down for our anniversary weekend she actually sung us happy birthday did an amazing interview about um Live Aid. Well, I'll tell you about Live Aid is when they asked me to do it, funny enough, they asked me if I'd do a set and I didn't have a band together they, at the time. Was it Bob Geldof? Uh, uh, Mr. Gold, Goldsmith, is that right? Harvey, Harvey is ha- Yeah, is that, that's uh, Mr. Goldsmith, isn't it? Sir. Uh, sir. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, um, and, and I, you know, like I say, I'm so vague and I don't really take in all the information that's given to me. And they said, you know, there's this little, you know, I said, yeah, I don't, you know, I'm happy to do that, but I haven't got a band together. So I said, well, Paul Young, he had the same agent as me. You can go and sing with him. I said, oh, that's, all right, it's fine. Where are we doing it? We're doing it at Wembley. And I played Wembley, you know, um, Arena. As you do. Uh, it is the Arena. And I get those two medals. Med- I played Wembley Arena, so I didn't think anything of it. And I kind of go down there and there's a helicopter. I'm thinking, what are you in a helicopter for? <laughs> And then it goes to the stadium. I had no idea it was at the stadium. I had no idea who was doing it. And I, and I got so off. You went down on the. Bus. I was sharing a helicopter with David Bowie and Bono. <gasps> and then and then it opens up. And then there's all these people waving, like you know, um, Freddie Mercury and and um, and the guys from the Who. And I'm looking behind me. Like, Who's coming? You know, and then you suddenly realise that, that they, they know who you are too, and it's it's the strangest thing. These are legends. Legends, absolute m- mega mega star legends. Yeah. Also in 2006, I interviewed Cliff Richard, who was our most requested artist uh, of all time. And uh, he invited us down to his studios in Surrey. Um, And we were sandwiched in between, I think, Radio 2 and Channel 4. So, you know, big names interviewing him either side of us. But he took the time and trouble to sort of stick his head around the door. He popped in and said, oh, hi, really nice to meet you. You know, can't wait for the interview. I'll be there in five minutes. You know, make yourselves at home. And immediately we felt at ease and I thought, okay, he's going to be, he's going to be an easy-going guy. This will be fine. 
So Cliff, thank you very much for taking the time and trouble to uh, speak to us. And, and firstly, can I just say congratulations on being our all-time number one artist. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I'm, I'm thrilled to talk with you, and particularly when you get accolades like this. I, I kind of don't expect things like this anymore. You know, I've, I've had such a fantastic career. I've been so lucky in so many ways to find myself you know, most requested over 40 years. I mean, that's a fantastic thing. I can't believe it. <laughs> Thank you. I know you've always been very competitive with being number one. Does it still mean as much to you now to be number one as it did, say, 30, 40 years ago? Oh, yeah, more so, perhaps, because in the early days, we didn't really think about it. It just happened. Hmm. You had a number one, you were the number one person in the country for a while, then somebody else took over, and you felt as though it was part and parcel of being a pop singer. As the years have gone on, though, the competition's got heavier and heavier. Um, there are all sorts of other distractions for people, many, many more artists. And so to actually to win something like this, I think it's really quite special. I, I don't take it for granted at all. It was just a great camaraderie amongst the team. Everybody clicked together, everybody worked together. And, you know, it was just really made it all so worthwhile. And, and the reaction we got from the patients, which made it even more worthwhile, was fantastic they loved it and and they got involved and it, you know when you get that kind of response from our dear listener then you know you're doing something right 2008 was the year that radio broccoli started broadcasting 24 hours a day a massive change for the station alan joyce explains what happened yeah so we bought a, a playout system in 2007 a lot of radio stations around that time were starting to go 24 hours they were buying buying these new playout systems which allowed you to store all your music on the playout system along with lots of the shows and instead of just broadcasting for 10 or 15 hours a week which we still were at the time when we weren't on air um, we used to hand over to radio 2 who would uh, provide the programming on our channel for the rest of the time so we decided it was time that you know we should go with the times and go 24 hours as well well i have to be honest and say that when the idea of us being on air 24-7 was first mooted. I was totally against it. I, I didn't agree. Couldn't see the point in it at all. Um, you know, what's the point now? You know, we, what are we going to play for 24 hours a day? What are we going to do um, in the way of format that other people are not doing kind of thing? And obviously I was missing the point that we can do what we do now and do very well, in my opinion, um, is to actually do programming that's very much focused on our patients. So the majority of the time our patients were listening to Radio 2 and I always felt sorry for those when I was broadcasting, I'd open up at 8 o'clock and, and, and I'd always look and see that, it was, oh, oh, it's Bob Harris's country now at 8 o'clock. They're going to be very disappointed when they hear my voice. You know? <laughs> but we just used to cut into Radio 2 and then we'd broadcast. I think we quite quickly realised just how many other opportunities there were with it, you know, People could come in at various times when they were working, record shows that we played out later in the day. We could promote our other services using sort of various promotions and stuff, which could be played out all day. And we could control the types of music that were being played. So if we got a lot of requests for, I don't know, let's say Bollywood music or something, we could have a specialist hour for that, or we can have a specialist hour for 50s music. And it, it actually made what we could offer as a service 10 times better. But I think the most important thing the 24-hour broadcasting has allowed us to do is to think more about what we're here for, which is hopefully entertaining the patients, hopefully sort of being a friend to them and a friendly voice, but also keeping them informed of what's going on in the hospital and, and I, it wasn't long after we started going 24 hours that we started the uh, broccoli news shows and um and i and i think they've been a really important 
um, departure for us because they're speech-based. They're about what's going on in the hospital. Um, we'll interview everyone from the CEO uh, and the chairman down to the lowliest uh, manual worker in the hospital and find out about their jobs. And again, they're programs that we can we can put out, and 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 some of them, if they're not time specific, we can repeat them because they're just general information about the hospital, about who the people are in the hospital, and uh, so uh, yeah, I I think it's had a tremendous impact on on the way we broadcast. That started to bring a news element, a regular news element, into our program, uh, programming for the first time ever consistently but also meaningfully to our patients it's not national news it's not even local news it's to do with the RNOH or very very local events that directly reflect on the RNOH and um, that's been a fantastic um, step forward and the ability we can record programs and then put them out again and and again and again is fantastic as well because it means that rather than just having a series of songs playing out which you know, a faceless without a presenter, we can actually have programmes that actually have a real person presenting them and can be played several times over as if they were live and often you wouldn't know the difference. So, yeah, it, it gives us a presence that we never, ever had before. Next week, in our final programme of the series, we'll look at where Radio Brooklyn finds itself now in an era of top national awards. I was thrilled that we won it that night. Um, one of the best nights of my life you know I'm saying that now I can feel the emotion I think it proves the depth and the breadth and the quality of our programming and groundbreaking programs this is a Rex Bionics uh, Rex Exoskeleton and it's uh, originally developed as an assistive technology to help a paraplegic stand up by themselves it's like watching the bottom half of a robot plus we'll be listening back to some royal contributors The Royal National Orthopaedic Hospital is a world-class institution. It is one that the United Kingdom is extremely proud of. It's one that deserves all the accolades and praise for the way that it does its business. The story of Radio Broccoli continues.